And so anyway, so good to be back. Uh, I think about Round Rock. There's a couple things also as well. I think about our friends. I mean, I'm like all excited about the friends and, um, and just seeing friends again. Last night I was, I was laughing uh, last night in, in a good way. I, and, and we were all kind of hanging out as a, as a group and, and just enjoyed that, enjoyed the friendship and the fellowship of, of God's people and uh, of good friends through the years who are in Christ. And so that's been a, a blessing. Um, I also know, too, as I kind of pulled up there, I, I'm driving down the road, and, I, and I'm thinking, you know, here's team members who have never experienced Round Rock Donuts. And um, like, I'm like, they don't know what they're missing yet. I mean, it's like, a, you know, they think Krispy Kreme is the best, you know, and I'm like, wait a second here. And uh, so anyway, we're looking forward to that. Also, I think about Star Coffee right around the corner and some other areas as well. But just just so neat to be in this area of the country. We traveled all the way from from north central Arkansas. And uh, and then we're also uh, from here making our way up into Missouri and then to Lincoln, Nebraska, then to Iowa. Uh, and then eventually up into Minnesota. And these guys will finish off uh, the first, basically the first week in May, and they all kind of disperse. Uh, there's some exciting news happening because Sam, at some point, is, they're getting married this summer. And uh, Sam and Alyssa, the Fishers, and some of you guys remember and know the Fishers. And uh, so anyway, just, um, just excited about uh, just what's, what's going to happen in, in their lives as well. Uh, so we're praying right now for t- new team members, specific team members, you know, Lord provide the right people. And and uh, and this is this year really with this group has been really uh, an encouragement, um, uh, a blessing to us and to our family um, as they are really seeking to minister and they seek to to really walk with Christ. And I think it's evident by them. There's no such thing as a perfect Christian, but there's always a such thing as a growing Christian. And we're always thankful for all the team members of the past and stuff. And I'm just thankful for this group as they've sought to minister. And so take our Bibles uh, this this morning and um and go to the book of matthew matthew chapter 28 as we turn there um really in one sense i want to pastor asked me to be short and i'm like you're asking the wrong person pastor are you kidding me you know and i but i do realize time wise and stuff too i should take off my watch and probably just look at this too as well just going to help us out we have had a concert which is not you know in a sense normal to have a concert necessarily on a sunday morning um and so we usually do that sometime during the week but it's a good a good thing to have and um but i want to focus in on the scriptures uh on a on the subject of the power and truth of the resurrection as you consider what happened that early morning, we'll kind of walk through the story at some point here, but I, I do want to focus in on some verses because it's amazing as they're told by the angel, they're told by even Christ himself uh, after they see the risen Christ. Um, you had an issue where in Matthew chapter 28 and verse 11, now you have the, the, the religious crowd that knows this to be true. Um, it's interesting how the religious crowd actually never, ever discounted the miracles of Jesus. Did you know that? The only thing they could ever say about his miracles was, well, then it's under the power of Satan. You know, it's like the devil, the devil helped him do that. You know, because other than that, it's just, it just, they could never discount that. Um, and I think about the resurrection, how they know clearly that Jesus rose from the dead and they know this, but to think of what they're trying to do after knowing this, you, you would, you would think that there would be some form of humility and going, okay, what we have been thinking all along has been so wrong because of the, just the clearest thing, Jesus rose. And, um, but notice this in Matthew chapter 28 and verse 11, it says this, now while they were going, behold, some of the guard came into the city and reported to the chief priests all the things that had happened. So they, they told them clearly, this is a, these are pagans. 
This is a Roman guard. I mean, they, this knowing this, not all of them went because they could lose their life for, for this because supposedly what they were guarding got away. And um, so this is a big deal. So they tell them clearly, like there's, there's no... Um, there's no, in a sense, like repercussion. There's, there's no, there's no some form of, you know, desire on their part to somehow deceive. They just said, this is what's happened. This is what we experience. And when they had assembled with the elders and consulted together, this is the religious crowd in verse 12. They gave a large sum of money to the soldiers. The religious crowd is going, I don't know what we're going to do with this resurrection thing. Oh, I know what we'll do. They give a large sum of money to the soldiers saying this, tell them his disciples came at, at night and stole him away while we were asleep. And if this comes to the governor's ears, we will appease him and make you secure. Okay, they would have to definitely do that because they would lose their life very, very much potentially, you could say, I guess, in verse 15. And so they took the money and they did as they were instructed. And this saying is commonly reported among the Jews until till this day. Now, I say this to you, and I want to also say this is interesting because... It was a number of years ago during one of the Cold War nights that we do, one of the things that we'll do probably on Wednesday night. And this was in Indiana, and it was like Mishawaka, Indiana. I remember very specifically talking to a teenager who actually had raised his hand saying, you know, I, I need Christ. And, and, and like he, he was considering this, but he wasn't, he wasn't there yet to really respond to the gospel. So afterwards, I had a conversation with him because um, I just had, saw a service. They just listened to a service and a message. And so I said, hey, you know, you, you've experienced you know, all of this, and you, and you know these truths, what's holding you back from trusting Christ and trusting Christ alone? And there's a pause there. Then he said, I just don't know if I believe in the resurrection. Really? So what do you think happened? And you know what he said? He said, honestly, I think the disciples stole the body. I went, Really? And actually had a great conversation with him. Actually, I'm going to kind of deal with some of the things that maybe I would have even said to him uh, right here. But I think this is a, a powerful passage of Scripture that just proves to us the very power and the very truth of the resurrection. So let me pray for the next couple of moments we seek to unfold this for us. Lord, thank you so much for my friends here today. And I just ask, God, your richest blessings upon them, that you would stir their hearts. Lord, I, I realize that probably the overwhelming majority in this room probably know Christ as their Lord and Savior. But the reality is not everybody does. And in a room even like this, the truth is there would be, statistically, there would be some in this room without Jesus Christ. So, God, I would ask that you would open up their eyes to, to the truth and power of the resurrection. And not just their eyes, but their hearts. Lord, that you would stir them, that you would draw them to yourself, that you would, you would save them, that they would repent of their sins, turning from sins to Messiah, and to, to trust in Christ and to trust in Christ alone. We live in a world where people trust in a lot of other things, uh, even religious things. But God, those religious things as baptism or good works don't save us. But Jesus, thank you, saves us. So, Lord, I thank you so much for what you're going to do in our hearts. I pray for the next moments that you would just empower me, use this time to stir our hearts and our minds uh, to greater love and, and good works. In Jesus' name we pray. And all God's people said, amen. When you think about the resurrection, I would just simply kind of state some things. There's a lot, of, a lot of people through the years who have tried to discount the resurrection. I actually would even put it this way. If, if you're taking any kind of notes, I might even say this is a strong point, point number one, which is really, really strong. But here's what it is. Explaining the way the resurrection actually only condemns you to a devil's hell. Like, that's how strong that is. I mean, you think, well, <coughs> you're like, excuse me, Jeremy, you know, uh, you know that, that's, a, that's a pretty strong statement. 
that if you really explain it away, if you explain away the only way of, of salvation from your sin, th- there is no hope. There is no hope because this is God's way that he clearly stated and, and showed us throughout history and yet clearly in Scripture. So I look at this and say, if you try to explain it away, and there's a lot of people that have. Actually, when I think about through the years of, there's theories. Have you, have you ever heard some of the theories of the resurrection that people say, well, why is, you know, the body gone and stuff too? And some say, well, the, the truth is it was a, there's a swoon theory. I mean, the swoon theory is interesting because this actually states this, that Jesus didn't actually die, but he went into a deep coma because of all of the, all of the pain and the agony that he went through. He was never really ultimately dead. And yet because early in the morning and with the, with all the spices and those things, it actually kind of revived him. And, and sure enough, he, he then, you know, walked out of the grave. Well, you still have a problem there. You still have a a stone that's rolled in front, you can't walk out and can't push it away from the inside. That doesn't make any sense. Plus, as you begin to consider even this whole idea, think about this. Um, he would have to survive the massive loss of blood, the scourging, the nail wounds, the spear thrust that went into his, his heart region and pulled out blood and water. I mean, everything about that. 75 to 100 pounds of spices that were added to his body or on top of his body. Beside all that, actually, in this extremely weakened condition, he'd have to somehow endure some more than like 40 hours uh, without food or drink and somehow manage to unwrap himself uh, from the, again, the inside to then roll away the stone. I mean, everything about this doesn't make any sense for that to happen. There's just no possible way. Actually, even the Roman soldiers, they knew he was dead. They were expert executioners. So there's just no doubt there. But also, some would say, well, that's not just a swoon. Actually, even the no burial theory. Have you ever heard about that one? In other words, he just never was even buried in the first place. I mean, the reason his body wasn't there was because they, they took his body along with other criminals and just threw him in mass graves. And so the truth is he was never in the tomb. And so therefore, it looks as though he raised from the dead. But if the religious crowd really wanted to just to show that this is so phony, then all they had to do is go to the mass graves and pull out his body and show everyone, don't you see? Here's the body. But they couldn't produce the body because he had raised from the dead. So that's a stupid theory as well. Actually, not only that, there's one called the hallucination theory, which basically maintains this, that everybody at the same time hallucinated it. Like... um, They didn't really see the risen Christ. They were so excited and expecting this because they knew it would happen. And they were all, so then it's almost like they they forced themselves to almost hallucinate, you know, that this is just, but if you know the story, none of them were excited about it. They all, he was dead. They were all mourning his death. Even the ladies who came early in the morning, what did they come with? Spices to anoint the body. Even though Jesus said he would raise from the dead, they just, they just, it just didn't, they didn't comprehend all this. Not only that. There's so many people that saw there was some 500 people at the same time at one of the resurrection appearances. I mean, how can 500 people hallucinate at the same time? And so that's kind of another one. That's kind of a really dumb theory. But let me tell you another one. Is, I, I think it's really funny. It's called the telepathy theory. Have you heard that one? In other words, God from heaven sent divine uh, telepathic messages to all of his followers. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know, like this, and all the followers kind of catch this, you know, at the same time. And so, but the problem with that is that it makes God now a liar and, 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 and actually uh, pushing a lie. And that's, that's not true at all because God is holy and he doesn't lie. That doesn't make any sense. The telepathic theory is just kind of awkward. Actually, seance theory, that some powerful spiritualist or a medium conjured up the image of Jesus by occult power, you know. And again, the problem with that is, the ladies, you know, they, 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 they held his feet. They, they saw him. They, 
They, they t the disciples touched his side. Everything, like, how do you do that if it's, a, if it's just a spirit of some sort? It doesn't make any sense because uh, seances strict, deal strictly with the spiritual realm and not physical. So then there's a mistaken identity theory. In other words, maybe someone just kind of, you know, somehow acted like they were the risen Christ, you know, that, they, that, they, that means they had to know Jesus very well and know all of his teachings very well. They'd have to then, the problem with this is they'd have to then scourge themselves, you know, like fillet themselves from the shoulders to the knees and uh, have bodily organs exposed and bones exposed. Um, they would have to go through all of that and then endure all of that to somehow then trick his own disciples who lived with him for three and a half, uh, three to three and a half years, okay? Day in, day out, you slept. There's the rabbi. He's right there. So, so you really think it's going to dupe them? I mean, so come on. This doesn't make any sense. So the only one that makes sense is the missing body is the theft theory. That's the only one that actually makes any logical sense. And so actually when the kid said this to me about, well, maybe he just rose, you know, or, or the, the disciple stole the body, I said, well, that actually would be the most logical thing. But that still makes no sense because none of them were expecting this. And I would just suggest this to you. In the very end, out of the 10 or out of the 11 who were left, because remember Judas was a phony. So you had 11 who were left. 10 of the 11 died martyrs. You don't die for a joke. You might push a joke pretty far along, but when it comes to really death and suffering and, and, and anguish and, tr and, and again, like martyrdom, you, you would say, no, okay, okay, okay. We were kidding, okay? And um, we took it too far. But no, they, they died martyrs. You know why? Because they, they saw the risen Christ. They believe in the resurrection because it happened. I mean, when you begin to consider even all these things, so I would just simply say this, if, you, if you're somehow going to try to deny this, deny this I, I think that people who deny this honestly are, are either this, they're either intellectually dishonest, uh, or maybe they're just lazy. They just never looked into the truth of this and never considered the circumstances and never went to Scripture and say, okay, what does it even say? And let's just look at this to just kind of see this and to be honest that way. And I think the problem is this, is because mankind before salvation truly has a spiritually dead heart, a sinful heart that goes away from God, that wants their own way, that rebels naturally against God. But praise God for the resurrection, because when a person truly repents of their sins and trusts in Christ, they can be saved. So I tell you this to say, if you explain it away, you're in trouble, big trouble. But the, but the other side of this is this, if you believe it and it's not true, well, then, then you're really a fool, and, I, and, I, and I'm honest there to say, I mean, if this really didn't happen, I mean, what a waste of my own time. And I would actually show you this. Hold your spot there for just a second. I want you to see this. And it's actually found in, in 1 Corinthians chapter 15. Oftentimes this can even be preached uh, at a, as a resurrection, at Resurrection Sunday. But in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, notice some of these verses. Verse 12. Paul the Apostle was saying this. He says, Now if Christ is preached that he has been raised from the dead, how do some among you say that there is no resurrection of the dead? There were some saying that. And so he says, But if there is no resurrection of the dead, then Christ is not risen. Obviously, if people don't raise, if there's no resurrection, Jesus obviously didn't raise either then. And if Christ is not risen, then our preaching is empty, and your faith is also empty. It's like, what are we doing here? Like, why would we even sit among, you know, God's people in the sense and, and, and waste our time? Why wouldn't you sleep in on Easter? I mean, this is, this is I mean, seriously. I mean, I sort of felt like that even this morning. But I, there's something more important. 
But you look at this and I think about, wait a second, not just the preaching in vain, but your faith is empty. Verse 15, yes, and we are found false witnesses of God because we have testified of God that he has raised up Christ, whom he did not raise up if in fact dead, the dead do not rise. For if the dead do not rise, then Christ is not risen. And if Christ is not risen, your faith is futile and you're still in your sins. There's no hope. We've broken God's laws. We have no true faith then, and we are still in our sins, if that's true. So if we're believing this and it's not true, man, we're a bunch of fools. But can I tell you something with a smile on my face? I say this, Christ is risen. This is true. This is what's so amazing, and it's just so clear. So, so what are the proofs? And I would say this to you, number three, and again, I'm kind of flying through this, but number three is simply this. Knowing the proofs can help set you free. Did you, did you notice I didn't say, if you just know the proofs, you're set free? No, because the truth is you can have all the head knowledge and know all these things, but it doesn't necessarily set you free in your heart and your life until that truth goes from the head down into the heart to the life that really transforms your life. In other words, in genuine repentance and faith in Christ. So I want you to take your Bibles now and go back to where we started. It's back, back actually in Matthew, actually chapter 28, but I want to pull you to into 27 for just a moment, just to see this, so we can see the, all these proofs that are going to be laid out right in front of us. Watch this. Matthew 27 and verse 62 so remember, the gospel writers all are giving you their account and their, their eyewitness account, you could say. And as they do this, they give it to you from their angle. So each one has a different angle, as they're saying. But they're telling you the same story. Again, it's like a, a, a wreck that happens, and you got four corners, and you had different people maybe on different corners, and it was a populated place. And when it happened, the officer might say, hey, was there anyone over here that saw the accident? What about you guys over there? What about you over there? What about you here? And so they said, can you just tell us your story? Tell us what happened. And they will all tell you the same story in a sense, but from their angle. And this is what the gospel writers are actually doing. And so as we look at Matthew and we see in verse 62, it says, now on the next day, which followed the day of preparation. What is this? This actually gives us a timeline really clearly. The day of preparation was the preparation for the Sabbath. The Sabbath is what day? Saturday. It's Shabbat. It's Saturday. And this is the preparation day. So they were, they were actually on the preparation day, obviously getting prepared because the Sabbath was getting ready to happen. And it wasn't just going to be any Sabbath. It was going to be a high Sabbath. It was going to be culminating because that Friday was, was a culmination of Passover. And then here's Saturday with this special holy day, holy of holy days, you could kind of say, as they looked into this. So it's the day that followed the day of preparation, which is the day after, which is the Sabbath. So on the Sabbath, the chief priests and Pharisees gathered together to Pilate. <laughs> this is actually funny because in their own custom, and their own rule, you would never go anywhere near Pilate because he's a pagan and especially on the Sabbath. That would have been breaking the Sabbath laws, but they didn't care because all they wanted was Jesus dead and him out of the way. And yet now they thought he was for sure he's dead, but, but let's just secure this really good. So we go further. They go to Pilate. And then they say this to Pilate, Sir, we remember that while he was still alive, how that deceiver said, after three days I will rise. They can't even say his name. And they just hate him so bad. The animosity, the hatred, the envy, the jealousy, everything about Christ. And we remember that he said these things. And that deceiver said these things. They won't even say his name. 
So therefore, in verse 64, therefore commanded that the tomb that he, he made secure until the third day. And so this is Pilate. He says, yes, this is lest his disciples come um, by night and steal him away and say to, to the people that he has risen from the dead so that the last deception will be worse than the first. So that's what they're asking Pilate. So Pilate said to them, he says, you have a guard. Go your way and make it as, ser- as secure as you can, <laughs> or as you know how. I mean, that's kind of funny. <laughs> Yeah, okay, you know those dead bodies, how they try to get away. Um, Once you go, set your guard and and go. And so the truth is, with this guard, there would have been at least four soldiers. Um, Most would say probably actually up to about 12. That would be probably more normal for that. And, and about every, you know, so many hours, there would be the, there's some that would sleep while the other, well, at least four were awake. And so you kind of rotated your shifts, but it was such a big deal. And the Romans were there. So what'd they do? Uh, you, have, you have this guard, so go your way as, as secure as you can. Verse 66, so they, so they went and they made the tomb secure, sealing the stone and setting the guard. So a Roman seals on this with Roman guards. And he died of crucifixion. So you break the seal or you mess with the guards, you're going to lose your life and you're going to be crucified. You, you, you didn't do that. These were elite of elites. You could say soldiers guarding this. We would say special forces, you know, right there guarding, you could say the tomb. And so that's pretty amazing. But notice verse 28 or chapter 28, verse one. Now, after the Sabbath, um, as the first day of the week began to dawn, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary came to see the tomb. Now, also, let me remind you something. Sometimes in following through the account, I would say this, is we get a little lost because our days and their days were somewhat different. Okay, here's what I mean by that. Their, their day actually began at nightfall. When night hit, that was the, you could say the the day. Okay. In other words, that was the next day. So once nightfall hits, you're actually in the next day. And then you'd have the 12 hours, you know, until like the light shines again in the morning. And at that point, it was still that day up until when the sun went down. So that's the way they looked at their days. It's different than the way we look at ours, because we kind of have this 24 hour period that kind of starts, you know, and it's just different dark day, dark, like, no, you know, it's so anyway, I'm just telling you this, that actually helps you be able to understand some of the days with this. But it's interesting. So they, they go there. Mary Magdalene, they came to see the tomb. They knew where it was. They had already helped in a sense and initially, but now they wanted to bring their own spices. They would have paid a lot of money um, to, to, to get their own spices to then do this for the body, which again tells you they weren't ardently expecting the resurrection. They were I mean, if, if, if this was going to happen, why would you waste your money on the burial spices? Are you kidding me? But, but they're coming there. And notice verse 2. And behold, there was a great earthquake. For the angel of the Lord descended from heaven and came and rolled back the stone from the door, and he sat on it. So, I mean, I mean unbelievable. I mean, it's this, uh, I mean, massive earthquake. Everyone's feeling this. And now all of a sudden, this, this brightness from heaven comes. And, and sure enough, this angelic being and this glory begins to move the stone. Now, again, angels in the Bible show, show up at very specific and prominent times. I mean, you have the, the announcement to, to Mary, you're going to have a son. I mean, this is, this is not just any son. This is a, you're going to be virgin-born child that's going to happen here. Um, you have the announcement to the shepherds of the angelic hosts and praising God and saying these things. I mean, when you think about angels in the Bible, they show up at prominent, very specific times historically, and you see this happening here. And so sure enough, he 
pushed it away and sat on it. His countenance was like lightning, and his clothing was white as snow, and the guard shook for fear of him and became like dead men. So this, this so takes them back. I mean, wouldn't it take you back? And actually, anybody who actually even saw angelic beings in the Bible, often their first thought was they were so fearful they thought they would die, and they would always have to say, fear not to them, you know? And so the truth is you see this, and there's, the, the guards are, and they're like dead men. They, they just are, they're incapacitated. They, they can't move anymore. But the angel answered and said to the women, Do not be afraid, for I know that you seek Jesus who was crucified. He is not here, for he is risen as he said. Come and see the place where the Lord lay, and go quickly and tell his disciples that he is risen from the dead. And indeed, he is going before you into Galilee, and there you will see him. Behold, I have told you. So they hear this. I mean, this is good news. At this point, they're... They can't believe what they're seeing. Then they look into the tomb because they see the stone rolled away. And they realize at this point, the body's not there. He's gone. And now go and tell his disciples and then go to Galilee. I mean, this is, this is amazing. I mean, this is the, the, the lowest of low. And now to think, what? He's alive? And, so, and again, the angel telling you this, I mean, to, to experience this tells you that God sent witnesses, clear witnesses. You know who saw the angel? Well, not just the ladies, but remember who else saw the angels? The soldiers. And they don't even believe in religious things. So this is really amazing. So they went out from the tomb with fear and great joy, and they ran to bring his disciples' word. And as they're on their way, which again, here's proof. The angelic beings, that's proof. I mean, just, just for the angels to announce this gives you proof. But again, because we don't often see angels, we don't really see angels, you know what I'm saying? So that makes people skeptical for sure. But there's even more. If you consider even beyond that, notice as it goes further, verse 9. And as they went to tell his disciples, behold, Jesus met them saying, rejoice. Or maybe you even say, good morning, as he sees them. <laughs> And they, again, they're taken back. So they, so they came and they, they held him by his feet and they worshiped him. They're, they're touching the risen Christ. And then it says, and Jesus said to them, he says, do not be afraid. Go and tell my brethren to go to Galilee and there they will see me. So not only do you have the proof of the angels, you have the proof of the risen Christ. And they're touching the risen Christ. I'm going to see you more, but go to Galilee. And he's telling them. So in verse 11, so while they were going, behold, some of the guard came into the city and reported to the chief priests all the things that had happened. You have angelic proof. You have the proof of Jesus. You have the empty tomb that they saw. It's gone. Um, now, here's the, the reaction of the guards and even the women. The women now go from being horribly sorrowful to unbelievably excited. It's the greatest day in history, and they're actually experiencing this and can't can't, in a sense, quite believe it, but they can't wait to tell. So they're making their way fast uh, back there. But the, here's, a, here's the guard. Notice in verse 11, though, it didn't say that all of them came. Behold, some of the guard came into the city and reported to the chief priests and all the things that, he, that had happened. So they were clear. I mean, this is, this is what happened. But why not all of them? And all of them, if you, and, and I think I kind of mentioned this before, if you understand the Roman custom, the, the truth is at that point, the, the, the reason they all didn't go is because some were fearful of their own life. I mean, if we go back and we tell them this, we will be executed. 
Like this is this is serious because we're guarding, in a sense, this this body from a from a person who's been crucified. Are you kidding me? That means that could happen to us. That's the way the Roman law would work. And so they were afraid, but then some of them going, what are we afraid of? We have to tell them the truth. I mean, this happened. Let's just tell them. So that's what they do. They tell them. And so here's the religious crowd. Now, what are you going to do with this if you're the religious crowd? I mean, you, you would think there would be some form of humility at some point to go, okay. I mean, we have been pushing so hard against this for so long. But it is so evident. Look at all the miracles he ever did. He's raising people from the dead on multiple occasions. He's walking on water. He calms storms. I mean, he, he casts out demons and diseases. Actually, the book of John says he did so many miracles that, act, that, that even the books of the world at the time could not contain all the things he did. Um, maybe he really is Messiah, okay? Because who can do these things? And then his message is so clear, and he preaches with authority. Like, this is it. He is the living, breathing word of God. And yet I'm going to be buried, uh, yes, crucified, buried, and raised from the dead. This just happened. I mean, how much clearer can it be for the religious crowd? But isn't it interesting how the heart is so deceitful? And they're so jealous and envious. So they gather. Actually, in verse 12, when they, they assembled with the elders and consulted the elders, what is this talking about? It's talking about the Sanhedrin kind of seems to get together, the religious crowd. As they get together, they gave large sum of money. What are we going to do? Let's just pay off the soldiers. <laughs> the, most, the most amazing and powerful event in history? And you're going to try to pay people off? To lie about it? To me, this is one of the great proofs of all this. Because watch as it goes further. Verse, verse 13 saying this. Tell them his disciples came at night and stole him away while we were asleep. And if this comes to the governor's ears, well, of course it would. We will appease him and make uh, you secure. Don't worry. We've got Pilate wrapped around our pinky. We know exactly. We, we've got him already. They, they, he'll, he'll obey us. And in one sense, that's exactly what happened. So they took the money and they did as they were instructed. And this saying is commonly reported among the Jews until the state. Now, this is, again, think about just how, how dumb this lie is, okay? This is, a, this is the lie that proves the resurrection. That these elite soldiers would say, these fishermen people, you know, disciples, they overpowered us. We, we couldn't defend ourselves and, and we were just sleeping on the job. No, you, you never slept on the job. That's how serious their job was. Again, you'll lose your life. You don't sleep on the job and you're not overpowered by a bunch of so-called sort of professional fishermen. That the professional fishermen somehow, they, you know, and again, they're not all professional fishermen, but that's the idea. They somehow defeated you. And could you imagine a, an elite soldier saying that? Um, well, I mean, I know I'm a Navy SEAL, but. I mean, he, he's a really good, he can catch a lot of fish. <laughs> I mean, everything about this just is so dumb. And then the way wait a second, logically, if you're here telling me that you fell asleep on the job, you should be, you shouldn't even be, you should be dead. I mean, you're an elite soldier telling us this? Like everything about this just proves the resurrection happened. 
And it's amazing because any person logically thinking and working through this, some of you have even read maybe The Case for Christ or maybe you've even seen the movie, you know, The Case for Christ, some sort of kind of is on that. And the idea is that's exactly what this guy's doing. His wife comes to Christ and what does he do? He's this journalist and his whole point is, I'll just prove her wrong. And if I just prove her wrong, I'll show her how stupid she is. She'll, she'll deny this Jesus character. And the more he went after this whole idea and began to study more and more, it just, he couldn't get away from the truth that was just right there till eventually he humbles himself in genuine repentance and faith in Christ. So you look at this again, believing this and knowing these truths can help set you free, but you could have an intellectual faith as well. But when a person really grasps the resurrection, Jesus died. And why did he die? Was it for his sins? And the answer is absolutely no. He didn't, he, he who knew no sin became sin for us. So the whole point is here's God and his holiness and his goodness. And here's broken mankind and mankind in a broken world. I mean, sin cursed world. We all know this because we all sin at our best. We sin multiple times a day. We sin because we're sinners. I make jokes sometimes and say, you know, um, if you don't think kids are born sinners, uh, sinful, then you've never had kids, <laughs> obviously. And they're cute little pagans, aren't they? I mean, they're really cute, you know. Or you've never been in a church nursery with a real long-winded preacher. You know, you'll find out real quick that kids are born bad, you know. My, my, no. You know, that's this the girl punching him, you know what I mean? I, it's crazy. So I kind of say all this tongue-in-cheek, but the truth is you don't have to teach them how to sin. And then as we get older, we, we commit sin and we try to cover it over a lot and we don't, don't want to get in trouble. We've all said things. We've all done things. Um, and all of it's against God. When you sin against a holy and righteous God, consider this. You sin against an eternal God. There is an eternal punishment. This is why you need God's eternal sacrifice. This is why Messiah came. You know why Messiah came? Because you couldn't save yourself. If you could, you could just say, well, Jeremy, I got baptized. <laughs> or I go to church. Or my good outweighs my bad. Well, then you wouldn't need Messiah. Some people even say, well, I believe in Jesus and his death, burial, and resurrection, but you got to do all the good works in order to get there. Wait a second. So, so you, Jesus, but his, his sacrifice wasn't complete enough, and so therefore you got to add to his sacrifice? And I would simply say to you, wait a second here. If you're truly in Christ and you truly trust in Christ alone, the overflow will be that you will do good works. That's normal. But to somehow say, I need Jesus, but I need to be baptized. I need to somehow earn my way. The scripture is so clear that it's for by grace that you're saved through faith. It's not of yourselves. It's the gift of God. It's not of works, lest any man would boast. The truth is that's what we would do. We'd say, well, look what I did. And I'm a pretty good person. And the whole point is there's no boasting. This is why Messiah came, because we couldn't do it. So I guess my question would be this, as we conclude. When you really believe in the resurrection and trust in Christ and him alone, it will change your life forever. But what's the point of really the resurrection? And why not just a death and burial? And, and I, would, I want you to point you to a couple, path, couple verses, actually. It's found in the book of Romans. Go to Romans real quick and watch this. This can be very, very clearful, clear help to us. Romans, we'll go to Romans chapter 4 initially. And notice what the scripture says in Romans chapter 4 and verse, verse 25. It says this. Speaking of Jesus' death and burial and even resurrection, who was delivered up because of our offenses, that's, the, that's Christ, he was delivered up because of our offenses, not his, because he didn't do any sin. And he was raised because of our justification. In other words, one of the, 
One of the key things is this. Jesus rose from the dead to justify you. What does that mean? To declare you righteous. You who are not righteous, and I include myself in this, Jesus would make us righteous. That again, he's paying for the sins, and then all of a sudden, he would give us his righteousness, and he would take away our sins. That's radical. Now to consider this, again, just because Jesus died doesn't mean everyone in the world's justified. You, you have to repent and trust in Christ as your Lord and Savior. You must be born again, the scripture says. But when you are born again, he, Jesus was actually raised to, for our justification to, to declare that, yes, you have been declared righteous by God. And to authenticate it, look at the resurrection of Christ. He conquered sin and death and hell through the resurrection. So you're, he was raised that we would be justified. But not just that. Go to chapter 6, verse 4. Chapter 6, verse 4 says this. Therefore, we, have, we were buried with him through baptism uh, unto death, that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we also should walk in newness of life. So, so, so you've probably been to a baptism, maybe even seen this that I baptize you in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Ghost, you know, buried in the likeness of his death, because it's all symbolic, and so you go underwater and raised to walk in newness of life, you know. Um, as you think about that for a minute, baptism doesn't save anybody, and we know this because the criminal on the cross was never baptized, and Jesus said, behold, today you'll be with me in paradise, and so baptism doesn't wash away your sins, although if you have been saved, the next step would be as a true believer that you would identify with Jesus in death, burial, and resurrection by showing people and demonstrating this through baptism. So I, I tell people, it's like a wedding ring. I can take my wedding ring off. I, well, I probably can't right now. It's too hot. But it's like, you know, but I can take it off. And the whole point is this, is, is, is that why do you wear a wedding ring? Well, if you're really truly married, you wear this as a symbol. You, you could put a wedding ring on your finger. Some of these kids could do this. They could put it on that ring finger. We wouldn't all be like, ah! Oh, no, you're married. Okay, because it doesn't work that way. And so the truth is, is, is why baptism, baptism was a, a symbolic gesture showing death, burial, and resurrection, showing full cleansing and identity with Jesus. I identify because this has happened to me spiritually. I've died to myself, my sin, and raised to walk in the of life. So you look at this and say, so sure enough, Jesus, and this happened, that we could walk in a new way, set free from our sins. We don't have to live in our sin, not if you're in Christ. The same power that raised Jesus from the dead actually gives us power to, to walk in a new way. I don't have to live in my sin. I don't have to go after the same things the world goes after because I am set free. The world is enslaved to their sin. I have a new master. I am enslaved to God and to Christ. And praise God, a benevolent, perfect perfectly benevolent master and if you're in Christ the same way you don't have, you have you have a new master you don't have to go back to your sin so you walk in this life then you look at chapter 7 probably across the page verse 4 and it just tells you this in chapter 7 verse 4 it says therefore my brethren you also have become dead to the law through the body of Christ that you might be married to another to him who was raised from the dead that we should bear fruit to God so because, he, because this happened, it now empowers us that we don't have to live in our sin anymore. And actually, it empowers us to, to now bear fruit to his name. 
That people would see your good works as a believer and not to say, wow, you must be earning your way to salvation. No, I could never earn it. That's why Jesus did this. But the whole point is because Jesus did this, now I can bear fruit into his name. It's not just I don't have to sin anymore, but I can be useful as a believer. God has empowered you because of the resurrection to bear fruit to his name, to be useful, to walk in a new way of living. And how does this happen? And this is where we conclude. It's Romans chapter 10, and notice this. Romans chapter 10 and verse 9. It happens through genuine conversion. Notice verse 9 says this, that if you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus, what does that mean? Actually, some even more modern translations even might even say it this way, that you would confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord. And they say it that way because that's what it means to confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus, that he's the Lord. You're actually saying he is the Lord, or maybe you'd say it this way, he is my Lord. When a person is going to confess that, that means they're forsaking all other routes. There's no other hope. I can't, my good works don't do it. My church attendance doesn't take away my sins. You know, going underwater in front of people doesn't take away my sins. Um, my good outweighing my bad doesn't take away my sins. You know, giving money in the offering plate doesn't take away my sins. And so, so the reality is, it's not that. You're confessing that he's the way. This is, this is the, the answer. But notice that also in verse 9 as he says this. That you would confess with your mouth, literally Jesus is Lord, and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead. You will be saved. Are you noticing it? It's not just that you're saying it with your mouth, but you're saying it because you're going, I truly believe that he was raised from the dead. He conquered sin and death and hell. And so he is my Lord. I turn to him as the only way, as the Lord. Notice this, verse 10. For with the heart, one believes unto righteousness, and with the mouth, confession is made unto salvation. So why do you say this with your mouth? Well, out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. So truly, you believe this in your heart, and so you confess it with your mouth. It comes out of your mouth. He's my Lord. I'm a genuine Christian. He saved me. I couldn't save myself. That's why I trust in Christ. There's no other Messiahs. Just Jesus. The only way. Verse 11, for the scripture says, whoever believes in, on him will not be, be put to shame. There, you wouldn't be because, it, because he's always true. He tells you the truth. For there is no distinction between the Jew and the Greek. The same Lord over all is rich unto all who call upon him. For whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. Are you catching this? So for me, I'm going to conclude by saying this. I, I grew up and my, my dad is from out west. He's from Roswell, New Mexico. Why are you laughing? <laughs> yeah, yeah, I, I do too. <laughs> it's the UFO capital of the world. You know, people kind of know that. And, you know, everywhere you go, McDonald's has a green man or something outside, you know, too. It's funny. Um, but, but I think that's, that's where my dad's from. My mom is actually from Iowa. And they met years ago in South Carolina. And it's amazing. My dad... Um, would have claimed Christ. My grandpa, actually, on, on that side of the family back in the day, was kind of like at some point in time, was kind of like a, a backwoods preacher, you know, of some sort. He kind of did a little bit of preaching and stuff too. But, and he was, they, were, they were in Christ in that sense. And the family talked about Christ, but they moved to South Carolina. And can I tell you this? There is evident my dad didn't know Jesus. I mean, he grew up in a family where people knew and had turned to Christ. But he, his life was just, in one sense, in shambles. Uh, he was angry and uh, bitter. There's just so many things in his heart and his life. And it's interesting because my parents got married really young. And so my, my mom was a believer. Um, 
and but but got married when they were like 18 and 19 and had kids right away and um so here he is at the age of 26 where he truly gets saved he is born again and that changed everything now we're starting to go to a church and we're starting to hear the gospel preach and the clarity of the gospel and and I appreciate that it being a Bible-preaching, Bible-believing church because there's a lot of churches out there that, that don't preach and teach the Bible. And um, so sure enough, we're, he's there, and he gets saved. And, I, and it, I mean, we, I started asking a lot of questions. I started seeing, you saw a different life, and I was little, but I was still I was watching this. And, and I remember going to church at some point where I hear a gospel message. For probably two weeks prior, I really questioned things. I even talked to my brother. I said, Johnny, how do you know you're going to go to heaven? And my older brother said, Jeremy, it's good you're asking these questions. You need to talk to dad about these things. And I, and I, I would see him and, I would, nah, and I'd push it away. Until finally I remember that night this evangelist was preaching. And he was preaching the clear gospel. Man, he talked about sin. <laughs> and I knew I was a sinner. I got in trouble all the time. That wasn't a struggle for me. Actually, he talked about God's holiness and his purity. And he talks about his love and sending Christ and Christ's love and coming. And, and his life, Christ, the life of Christ is his virgin birth, and yet his life without sin, and then to think about his death and his burial and resurrection. And at that point, he, he concluded the message with an invitation. I'm actually really glad he did that. Because it's interesting, at that point, God was stirring my heart. I'm sitting beside my dad, and I actually grab his shirt sleeve, and I start going, yeah, as a kid. And my dad looks at me and goes, what are you doing? Because <laughs> like, I normally messed around. And I said, Dad... I'm not messing around. I need Jesus to save me. And he goes, oh. So he, he took his Bible. We went to another room, and he actually went to the Scriptures and just showed me from the Bible what it meant to humble yourself, to turn from your sins to Christ, to trust in Christ. And that, that night, I humbled myself, and I cried out to the Lord to be saved. And can I tell you something? He saved me. And I look at you here today and say, if that's not happened to you today, you can be saved today. And out of any day, what an amazing day. I mean, to think about Resurrection Sunday, Easter Sunday, where we celebrate this. And if that's you here today, then humble yourself and, and respond in true humility and faith in Christ. Jesus' message was repent and believe the gospel. Turn from your sins, trust in the good news, the gospel of Jesus Christ. And I, I, I encourage you today, would you do that? I would also say this, again, for true believers, are you walking in newness of life? I mean, if he's, if he's resurrected you from the dead, the power of sin and death has been broken. Why in the world? Think about the, the power, of, the same power that raised him from the dead, that's power, is within you as a true believer if you've been saved. You don't have to live in your sin. And he's given you that goodness and kindness and, and the truth is the resurrection has now made you to walk in a new way of living. So may God help us actually minister all over the community and, and in a sense, I'd say even around the world because God has rescued us. Uh, may God use this in your life. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for just the truth and the power of resurrection. To know that you didn't raise um, for no reason and how you came to this earth to seek and to save those who are lost. And sometimes the most stubborn or difficult people are the ones who are religious. And Lord, there could be some here in this room that are religious but lost. And if that's the case, I pray that you'd bring them to genuine faith. I thank you for my friends here. I ask God your, your blessing upon them. 
With our heads bowed and our eyes closed, I would like to ask a couple